Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work. You really really want it all to work out while you're away. monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. everybody welcome into an all new episode of can we please talk podcast as always i'm mike leon and i'm nick severi on a program today first they came for our guns nick now they've come for our tiktok nick and i break down the house committee on energy and commerce's latest hearing on banning tiktok here in the u.s plus later on the program white collar criminal defense attorney sarah azari joins us she's going to help us break down the potential indictment of the former president of the united states Plus, a look at some of the other legal troubles facing the former president. So, Sarah, in our next segment, Nick, my friend, I, I got to be honest, uh, Sarah was great in our next segment. So teaser there. Stay tuned for that. But how you been, my friend? I know you just laughed there about the TikTok. I, I, how do you feel about TikTok? Uh, you on TikTok? You, I always send you TikTok cl- uh, links. You like TikTok? What, what, what's going on here? What's going on your way, by the way? Well, my, you know, my, my podcast co-host asks that I create a TikTok account to support the you know, art social media presence there, full disclosure. But um, I, yeah, I, I, like most users, I think I, I just received them. You know, I've never made one. I have no desire to make an actual TikTok. Um, but I, I think they're just, I think they're great. I, it's been funny. I, TikTok has been attributed with bringing people's attention to certain songs. Um, I, I heard this somewhere else, but this idea that there was an artist who put out something that um, was basically brought back to the forefront because it kept showing up in different clips. And it certainly sparks my thinking. I hear a song a couple of places. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, that's pretty good. Let me go, you know, add that to a playlist. So I they're just they're, their niche has been interesting, right? Because, you know, they got the video part of of Instagram, but they're quick. It almost feels a little like, um, you know, what it's like Snapchat 
on some weird level. So their their niche has just been carved out. And as we're going to talk about in a moment, what is making them, you know, come to the forefront of the ire of Congress has been really interesting. Oh, yeah. What else is going on your way besides before we get into TikTok and stuff like that? Uh, I know you you were telling me off uh, off air. You're telling me about your star soccer player uh, that is out Thank here you. cutting up a rug. Uh, right, here. I got another one that's interested in playing soccer soon. But uh, how's everything going in the Severi household? What what else have you been up to? I, have, I haven't spoken to you in a few days off camera. There's so much news, by the way. I mean, we could be covering a swath of topics. I mean, there's protests happening in Israel right now. Um, obviously, uh, President Biden was up in Canada meeting with uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I mean, the Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, th- there's another school shooting recently. I don't know if you saw that about you know, Fox News' Alicia Acuna and her son running to, to his mom who was doing a live hit from the school. I mean, there's so much things happening. But how have you been? How's everything else going over there? And, and take us through Audrey's uh, superstar talent. Yeah, there's no I mean, there's no easy there's there's no easy segue, you know, talking about the school shooting. But yeah, in a celebratory fashion, um, you know, we're coming off of, you know, the end of they they basically it's an intramural, but it's it was her first soccer season. Um, and she loved it. It's the sport that she has just absolutely been fascinated by. Uh, we 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 debrief games all the time. We get in the car and she just wants to talk about the games and all the goals that have been scored. You know, today was their World Cup. And I'm using quotes to say this, but they played a long game. It was two 15 minute halves other than maybe the occasional water break. They've never played a game of that length before. And the kids are just wilting toward the end. <laughs> um, but they. Yeah, no, our, you know, my little girl's team held on. Um, there was a controversial goal that I thought had been scored, but apparently it was ruled out. So oh, here we go. Here we um, go. Hey, yeah. And I'll say this. It's funny because I'm coming off a soccer weekend, actually, both, you know, personally, I went to see the Philadelphia Union uh, in Pennsylvania play against uh, Orlando City of the MLS and fun game. Great venue, folks. Soccer in America is blowing up. And I think it's exciting for us to all recognize that. But Mike, I yelled a hell of a lot more watching my little girl play it was far more interesting to me which yeah. is funny because these are you know six and seven year old well, seven eight year old soon to be uh just running around and i mean there are handballs all over the place and <laughs> there was there's no such thing as offsides in this yeah. version of soccer they're behind my kid who's playing defense there's a member of the other team just cherry picking and i'm constantly yelling at her hey behind you there's someone there you can't let the ball get past you to her and i'm like what am I doing? There's a person next to me who they're all, you know, from England and they're like, you know, I'm not going to try an accent, but they're like, isn't that offsides? Isn't that offsides love? I'm like, (laughs) not here apparently. So, but yeah, no, they held on, they won, they got medals and cups and it was just so cool, man. I, I tell you this all the time off air about, you know, as your little ones get into a youth sport, you know, it is, you will never cheer harder. And and I'm saying this to you, Mike, as a person who has been in the sports space. You've worked at ESPN. You have worked with MLB. I mean, you were at MSG at some point. So you were very much dialed into the Knicks. All of that. And, and well, again, you've talked about like the, you know, being a Scarlet Knight like me. And like, that's a different feeling. And I'm introducing you to the next level of it, which is your own kid playing a sport. And it doesn't matter. Could be dodgeball, could be highlight. And then being in Miami, that's not completely you know, out not- of bounds. Um, yeah. Shout out to Daniel highlight, but <laughs> right. it is, it's so, so fun win or lose. It was fascinating, but 
winning's a hell of a lot better because we did get ice cream after. But how are you, man? How are things in the MIA? You know, it's, it's good. getting warmer over there. And, you know, how are things out there? It's good, man. I mean, warmer. It's like 95 degrees earlier today. Um, you know, baseball season starting soon. I have a few friends that are going to be coming down here. Shout out to Alex Clement over at G Zero Media, my friend of the show, who's actually going to be in town this week. So him and I may partake in a little Marlins Mets action down here for the opening day uh, festivities. But, you know, um, you were mentioning about a little bit about the sports aspect of this. If, if one of my daughters or even both tend to gravitate towards golf, which their father loves in abundance, seven handicap for those of you scoring at home, um, it's going to be a lot of fun for me to just see if they gravitate towards it. Like right now, They'll say daddy's going to play golf, which I mean, I don't know if that's the best thing to say all the time, but they recognize that daddy's going to play golf. And I just think it's it's so cute and it's it's fun. But like like you said, I haven't experienced it yet because neither one is actually in an organized sport, but I'm excited to see it. And I'm going to yell my head off too, similar to the way members of Congress were yelling at the TikTok CEO. Oh, what a transition there. If you don't know what Nick and I are talking about, and if you have the app TikTok, buckle up because we're going to break down everything that's happening over on Capitol Hill, because last week, lawmakers from the House, there's this House Committee on Energy and Commerce. They had TikTok CEO Shuzi Chu, I think I'm saying his name properly. If I'm not, I apologize. And they had him on for hours of intense questioning, as only the U.S. House of Representatives can do. And all of it aired for a television audience across networks. Let's take a listen to some of it. We're going to react on the other side. Take a listen to this. Mr. Chu, has ByteDance spied on Americans at the direction of the Chinese Communist Party? No. Has ByteDance spied on American citizens? I don't think the spying is the right way to describe it. I don't think what we collect, I don't believe what we collect is more than most see, players in the industry. my problem here is you're trying to give the impression that you're going to move away from Beijing and the Communist Party. You're trying to give the impression that you're a good actor. But the commitments that we would seek uh, to achieve those goals are not being made today. You spoke in your opening statement about a firewall relative to the data. But the Chinese government has that data. What, how, how can you promise that uh, that that will move into uh, into the United States of America and be protected here? Uh, Congressman, I have seen no evidence that the Chinese government has access to that data. They have never asked us. We have not provided. Well, you know what? I've asked that, that. I find that actually preposterous. And in order to assure everybody here and all our users, our commitment is to move that data in into the United States to be stored on American soil by an American company, overseen by American personnel. You couldn't take action after 41 days when a clear threat, a very violent threat to the chairwoman of this committee and the members of this committee was posted on your platform. You damn well know that you cannot protect the data and security of this committee or the 150 million users of your app. So a lot there, we're going to break down a bunch of it. But first, I want to get into at the core of this uh, committee and everything that they're investigating into the application. There's also another committee in terms of our relationship with China. Representative Seth Moulton, who's been on this program, is a part of that committee. And you know that there's a new concentrated effort, at least in the House of Representatives, to hold China accountable or reexamine our relationship 
with China. So at the core of this, you know, TikTok is a byproduct of that because a company, and you heard one of the representatives there ask about ByteDance. They're the Chinese internet giant that's prompted these concerns because the U.S. government thinks that American users and their sensitive data is being shared with the Chinese government, with, which, which, by the way, Mr. Chu has said, as he said in that clip, that there is no relationship between the Chinese government and this company ByteDance. He's a Singaporean-born executive. Uh, he's the CEO of the company. He's repeatedly denied TikTok's links to China. He's emphasized that he lives in Singapore with his wife and two children. He's mentioned a few times, including on TikTok, that he's responsible for all, all strategic decisions that happen at the company. So we're going to get into a bunch here with respect to TikTok. I'm going to give more of the product technology aspect of this as I tend to always do here as somebody who, as I've mentioned before, has helped launch a bunch of products across not only streaming services, uh, MVPDs, which are video providers, uh, things that you've watched out there, right? There's a way that we collect your data when you would sign in, when you go through the happy path, as we like to say, of entering your information or even entering your provider credentials. If you have Optimum, Verizon, Comcast, all of that data is collected from the companies that you pay bills to. So you have your internet provider, your IP, you have your cell phone. All of this data is collected across different companies out there, telecommunications folks. So the fact that Congress is spending time focusing in on TikTok is a little bit comical to me and other people that are in the industry, including Representative Jamal Bowman, who's been on this program, who's against this. He says that there's no reason why we shouldn't be going after other social media companies here in the U.S., similar to what we've had with Facebook and Google, who have testified on Capitol Hill and their CEOs, if we're going to continue to go after TikTok and the Chinese company. And he recently held something on the steps of Capitol Hill with a bunch of other TikTok creators to kind of combat some of the information that's coming out from this subcommittee. All right, Nick, I gave kind of a high level overview there of, and we played the montage of some of the exchanges there, bipartisan committee in nature, you heard a few folks there that are uh, that are Republican and Democrat, excuse me. So uh, obviously there's ire on both sides. I've seen Senator Marco Rubio, if we're getting to the other chamber of Congress, mention as well that he, think he thinks TikTok should be banned. There's a lot being talked about across television networks here. We're obviously covering it here because I do think it's important. I mean, this is a social media application that we could get into the content strategy and structure and how the algorithm keeps you in there. You know, I'm always sending you TikTok clips. I think people are incredibly talented that are creating on that platform. But I also know that there are dangers, just like any other social media app. So why this one is being targeted, we all know why. Because of the Chinese company that owns this and the new reinforcement of reexamining our relationship with China with respect to this new uh, U.S. House of Representatives and Senate. All right. What do you make of everything that I just mentioned there, but also some of the sound bites that we played from the committee and the committee's objectives overall in terms of potentially getting TikTok banned from all U.S. users? I mean, full disclosure, I, I have concerns about the Chinese government. Um, that, I mean, their, their track record as a nation with human rights is obviously questionable as a communist government. There really is no freedom of the press. We saw this a little bit with Russia, with the coverage of Ukraine and having someone on the show talk about the fact that essentially any media that you're getting 
that that is covered that is based out of Russia is state media at this point. But pulling back a little bit, what this really feels like is this the, is a continuation of a proxy battle with China. You know, we saw the first early origins of this during tra- during the Trump administration. You know, during the trade war with China. By the way, we lost that. Um, in 2021, our trade deficit with China was something to the tune of 155 billion. And the way you measure trade deficit is what do you export to said country and what do you import? We import a hell of a lot more than we export to China. The second piece, of course, was the coronavirus. You know, and having Trump and other central, not even essentially racists that refer to this as the China virus, uh, which led to you know many Asian Americans here. Um, just being tormented uh, and some physically assaulted uh, because of an act of bigotry or the spoken words of bigotry uh, by people in this country. And now most recently, you know, the battle moves over to social media in the form of TikTok. You know, I understand the concerns about privacy. I get that about data sharing. But I do wonder out loud about other social media networks. Perfect example. It's not a social media network. Amazon. I don't know how many echoes you have in your home. I have a fair amount, one in each room of my daughter's, one in our living room. And I can also use it as an intercom, right? The way to be able to communicate with everyone in the family. I'm aware that Alexa or Amazon, whatever, is constantly listening. That is just a given. That is proven, in fact, when you can look at the things that show up in the form of advertisements or the things that I'm trying to be sold by. So is Jeff Bezos going to get brought over to Congress? Because it looks like he's also he's also accessing my information. Funny enough, even Democrats are getting behind this. Uh, TikTok is being requested to be banned on federal employees' devices. Uh, the president has also been okay with this as well. But Mike, when I think of the most pernicious, most dangerous example of a social media company giving information to a government, I actually think of the state of Nebraska. So not too long ago, Facebook handed over a chat exchange between a mother and a daughter, a daughter who chose to seek an abortion. The state of Nebraska then took that chat information, was able to prosecute the mother and daughter because they were attempting to essentially cross state lines. So if I were to just take the name, if I were to take the state out of the question, like you don't know it's the place of Nebraska, and I just simply told you that the social media company took a private conversation and handed it to the government so the government could prosecute someone for having an abortion. And I told you to name the country. I don't know if the United States now, yes, I think they would rank very highly. But that sounds like the kind of stuff you would hear in, oh, I don't know, China. So if we're going to if we're going to clutch our pearls about TikTok, then I want every other social media company up there, because this often this does sound an awful lot like, well, we don't trust the Chinese government, but we trust the American government. Really? I certainly don't right now. I certainly have my concerns. When I was preparing for this segment, I went back to that story. And Mike, it's chilling. It's beyond scary. If you're telling me which one is more frightening, you know, TikTok having access to you know the information on my phone or some mom and daughter getting arrested because the daughter chose to have an abortion, chose to do something to her own body in this country. It's the story of Nebraska, a hell of a lot more about the worries of the Chinese government. But you won't see any of those members of Congress bringing over Mark Zuckerberg to talk about this. Not certain members of Congress. So I don't know where I stand on this. I'm not a big fan of China, of China having access to information, although full disclosure, I buy Nike shoes. 
you know, <laughs> you know, it's produced in China. Like they have my information. They certainly send me shoes, right? So if we're going to worry about this, then we could certainly talk about trade. But that ship has sailed on that one. So this, this right now, this new, you know, element of the proxy battle, that just feels hollow, especially when I'm reading about, you know, some some mom and kid. And it sounds so specific, man. But that's that truly is hands to handmade tale stuff, man. Yeah. Listen, um, and I didn't know about that story too before, but here's what I will say, at least from somebody that's been on this side of, uh, or at least an insider at some of these companies, I've mentioned this a bunch, right? With, with respect to terms of use and privacy policies that these companies all have. And I would encourage all of you, just like I did earlier today in preparing for this show, go on tiktok.com backslash legal, and you can view the privacy policy the information that they collect, how they use your information, how they share your information, some of the rights that you'll have, the way they do data security and retention, because there are re records retention policies at these companies. And with respect to data, obviously that's an HR term, but it applies in the data security world. And there's other things that they do for children and teens that are on the platform. You heard one of the Congresswomen there uh, in the montage talk about there was a video, uh, I think, of a gun shooting, and it was targeted towards a lawmaker, and it ended up being on TikTok, and it wasn't removed for either hours or days, and that was something that they alluded to. Look, if we want to have a conversation about the content and the algorithm and the way these platforms handle that, the way they keep you in the funnel, we can do that. If it's negatively impacting, if it led to a direct correlation that says, hey, suicides are up because there's a trend on TikTok of killing yourself, right? As an outlier example, obviously, I'm not condoning or championing for any of that. But like, if we want to have that conversation. That's one thing. The hypocrisy in all of this, and I'm with you on it a little bit, I do have very mild concerns because, again, as somebody who works in technology, you could easily delete these apps. You don't have to have these apps. These are all personal choices. This is why you enter into contract and agreement when you sign on to one of these apps. When you download Twitter or Snapchat, every single one of them has a flow. It's a user flow. From the product perspective, we create those because the legal beagles at the company, we're going to have one coming on in the next segment, those folks are saying you have to put this up in front of people first. They have to hit accept. There's always, if you ever notice, um, the, the color of hitting accept versus the color of saying, I do not accept, uh, is always shaded differently because we're trying to get you to accept this stuff. Even if you don't read it, we don't care. We've got to put it there and make it available so you know how you're protected. And the first part of all of this is the consumer part. Consumers need to understand what it is they're getting into when they download one of these apps. And I'm directing that at members of Congress that are on this committee to ask some of the dumbest questions I ever heard, including one asking if TikTok access the Wi-Fi of my home network. That's not how applications work. I'm not going to play the clip here because I thought it was so funny, but one of the members of Congress was asking if TikTok can access the home Wi-Fi network. That is not how applications work. They work on and off Wi-Fi. You being able to have added connectivity and signal reliance <laughs> is not part and parcel of what TikTok needs for you to be able to use the application. That's not how this works. So I don't know what that congressman was talking about, but this is part of the problem. We have unintelligent people asking these questions when they're not getting at the root of it. Some of the members of Congress said it there. 
and specifically that one Democrat, uh, I forget from what state, who said, my problem is right now, you're not on the up and up with us. Like you're easily telling me that, yeah, the Chinese government has no involvement in this, yet you can't show me any proof. Which, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing again, I don't remember what the, what the member of Congress said, but that's at the core of it. We've said this a bunch on this show. Stay true to that. If you truly feel that the Chinese government has compromised ByteDance because they have a minority stake in it, or you have some direct evidence, the smoking gun, that this company is influenced by the Chinese government and they're using the US, uh, at least US user data in a negative light to negatively impact the US market, whatever it is, show that in the committee. Don't hide behind certain things that you're letting US companies already skate on, which is in terms of how the data is collected and how it's insured. If we want to have the conversation about that and the concerns that our rival superpower is potentially doing something with this data in a nefarious way, I'm all for that conversation. But right now, having a committee where I've got some uninformed and unintelligent members of Congress asking some dumb questions that they don't understand how applications work, that's a huge issue. And I'm with you. I do share in some concerns, but I need to see how those concerns matriculate or, or, or whatever the word is, because I haven't seen that. And and he mentioned that, the CEO mentioned that in there. They have not reached for this data. I don't know what else I can show you to prove it to you, but we'll see how all of that nets out in the coming weeks with respect to that committee, because there's going to be a finite resolution on all this, right? Like from the, from the end of this committee, there's going to be something that comes out of it that says a yay or nay in terms of putting this up for a vote and seeing if TikTok will eventually get banned. We'll find out. We're going to have a member of Congress coming up in the coming weeks to talk more about that. Speaking of somebody coming up to talk about something else, Sarah Azari, white collar criminal defense attorney. You've seen her everywhere on television. She's going to help us break down all the Trump legal news. Sarah, when we come back after the break. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Nick, today's episode is presented as always by our friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has always been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world, roasted fresh to order. I got my coffee snob here, Nick Saveri. Nick, tell these people, coffee snob it up here, tell these people why Fresh Roasted Coffee is so good and why they're the official sponsor of Can We Please Talk? You know, often the best cup of coffee that you're ever going to have is the one you can make, you can make from home. And you need good quality coffee to do that. And that's what Fresh Roasted Coffee offers. You know, between single origin, between blends, flavors, anything on the coffee spectrum they've got. But more importantly, and I can't stress this enough, often when you purchase coffee, you don't know where to start. I mean, there's so many different varieties, so many different opportunities, so many different things you could choose from. And Fresh Roasted Coffee just gives you a very simple questionnaire and just says, hey, figure out what your cup, what your coffee cup is. Figure out what blend works for you. I've gotten some single origin recommendations, so is Mike, and that's influenced everything. And what they recommend, you can get in a Keurig cup, 
the way Mike takes it. You can take it in the way I do it, which is typically through a French press, or you can get it for a percolator. Whatever coffee machine you've got, they've got you covered. But more importantly, just a huge variety and a way to learn more about coffee itself. No, that's very well said. And all of this is available at freshroastedcoffee.com on their site. One cup is all it takes to fall in love with fresh roasted coffee. But you get a discount for being a listener of Can We Please Talk. All you got to do is enter in the promo code Can We Get 20 at checkout to get 20% off your first purchase. Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right, here to help us break down all of the news about the potential indictment of a former sitting president of the United States. She's a white collar criminal defense attorney. She's also the author of a book. I mean, this is so appropriately titled Unprecedented, A Simple Guide to the Crimes of the Trump Campaign and Presidency. I, I can think of nobody better to help us break down all this legal news than Sarah Azari. Sarah, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. I mean, you know, Sarah, when I reached out to you, I've seen you doing a bunch of TV hits across the media sphere. And I know you've been covering a murder trial and the Alex Murdoch trial and no murder here. But I did want to ask you about if we could get into this, because there is so much about this potential indictment of a former president that as of this taping, nothing has happened. It's all been smoke and there's no fire just yet. We do know of the events that happened back in 2016 and this hush money payment from where you're sitting as a criminal defense attorney, the center of this case and the focal point for the Manhattan DA, what do you make of this case and where it could lead in terms of a potential indictment of a former sitting president of the United States? Yeah. So look, I think that, well, you know, the saying uh, you can indict a ham sandwich, but the bigger question is whether you can get a conviction. Um, and that's where the defense lies. And, you know, we're sitting here going, when, 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 when is the storm coming? It was supposed to be stormy Tuesday. Then it was a stormy week. And now we don't know if the storm's ever coming and what, you know, category it is. Right. Um, but the idea here is it's really not about the, um, the fact that hush monies were paid, that's undisputed. In fact, Donald Trump was individual number one in Michael Cohen's uh, um, indictment on the federal side to which he pled like to eight counts. So that that's what my, you know, one of the chapters in my book talks about. No doubt he paid the hush money. The question here is that this is a booking charge. The idea that this payment was made and then it was classified falsely or booked falsely internally as attorney's fees, right? And this very much turns on whether Donald Trump knew that, knew that he paid hush money payments and knew that it was categorized internally as an attorney's fees. Um, and so to me, it's look, we don't know yet exactly what who the witnesses have been before this grand jury, but it seems to me like Michael Cohen might be the very, very center, the crux of this, uh, you know, all the testimony that the grand jury's heard in New York. Um, and of course, Michael Cohen has credibility problems, right? He's a cooperator. Um, he has beef with Donald Trump. He was a fixer for many years. He lost his license. He lost his life. He served prison time because of this conduct. And he also lied to the SEC. You know, initially, remember, he said that this these were not hush money payments. But since that time, he has had a mea culpa. He went before the Congress. He testified. He came clean. He is since that time 
been very consistent about the story and the real truth. And so, look, if if in every case that there's a cooperator, we defense attorneys could prevail, then I'd be winning all my cases. It's not always just because you have credibility issues with the main witness that that's a strong case, you know, um, it, it or the strong case for the defense, you would prevail. The, the idea here is there's also checks signed by Donald Trump. There's also audio between uh, Donald Trump and Michael Cohen that corroborates whatever Michael Cohen testified to. Um, but ultimately, there are problems. OK, there are problems in New York. And I know we keep saying this every time we think Donald Trump's about to get indicted and about to go down. Um, you know, we defense attorneys come in and honest prosecutors also and talk about the problems. Right. The problem is, number one, the statute of limitations. In New York, there's a uh, five year statute of limitations, which even extent is starting from the last installment on the hush money payments. Six years has passed. So during the pandemic, former Governor Cuomo extended or told the statute of limitations um, to extend that time. So they might be able to overcome that hurdle. But then you have, um, you know, the idea that this is a misdemeanor, nothing burger, right? This booking, this booking charge. Um, no way he would do any time on it. The maximum is one year. Nobody does time on it. So the question is, can they stretch this to be a class E felony? under New York law, which is still a nothing burger felony, a, a shoplifting of over $1,000 is a class E felony in New York. Um, and maximum of four years, again, unlikely that he would serve any time as a result of it. I don't think it's going to impact his ability to run for president, even serve as president. You know, it's the irony is that you can, um, you can't, uh, vote if you're a felon, but you can certainly be president, right? That's just how it is in our country. So it's really not going to impact him politically, I don't think. Um, it will impact him politically if if this DA brings the charge and it falls flat. I mean, that's what Donald Trump wants, wants, right? In every situation. Bring it. It's all a witch hunt. It's all a hoax, you know, and, and here, I'll prove it to you. So that the, the evidentiary problem is, you know, number one, Michael Cohen being the main witness in the case. Number two, how can they tie this to another crime to make it a class E felony? And that other crime, you guys, would be something like bank fraud, wire fraud, money laundering, mail fraud, things that are federal crimes. And so then the appellate issue here is going to become if he's indicted, can a state charge a class E felony? Can New York charge class E felony when this other crime that's related to this misdemeanor booking charge is actually a federal crime, not a state crime? So that's where it gets really hairy. And this is that if he's indicted, I think he's going to have a huge appellate issue in, in that regard. And then the last hurdle I see that's you know, fodder for the defense is he's going to come in and say, and I think I've heard him in some of his recent speeches and social media stuff saying that advice of counsel, you know, Michael Cohen was a licensed attorney. I was relying on him. I, you know, I listened to what he told me to do. I thought this was perfectly legal. The problem is that he also needs to show that he relied in good faith. That's where he's going to have a problem because Donald Trump, even before 2016, was very familiar with campaign laws. He was a big political contributor in New York. And these are laws that are very well known, very well established. They don't change from year to year. So it's going to be very hard for him to prove that, you know, that in good faith, he listened to everything Michael Cohen had to tell him and didn't really have any knowledge otherwise. Right. Um, but those are really the, the, the issues I see for the defense. I mean, unless 
you know, one of the things that concerns me is this delay, you know, because a grand jury is supposed to be a cakewalk. And when you're going day to day, week by week, and his Donald Trump has sent in his attorney to testify in lieu of himself before this grand jury, you got to wonder whether they're having some evidentiary struggles and are, you know, scrambling to get other witnesses and other evidence in before this grand jury, before they move forward. So, you know, if I were to read the tea leaves, is he going to get indicted? Probably. Will it stick? Probably not. Sarah, and thank you for just summarizing at the very end, because that was the question I was always sitting with. Um, you know, something that Mike and I have been seeing on social media is the lack of understanding the difference between what is the the role of the grand jury here versus a jury trial. You know, often when we're talking about the former president and people in general, you know, we hear these ideas about moving forward to jail or punishment. And obviously you're talking about a grand jury. There's another there's a huge step there, obviously leading to indictment. Can you take our listeners through just that process and why yeah. that just stands in distinction to you know when we think of the traditional jury trial? Right. And there's a difference between a jury trial, a jury for the purpose of trial and a grand jury. The grand jury, um, in many jurisdictions like New York, use a grand jury as um, as a way to establish probable cause. Is there enough to indict the person? Is there probable cause, which is a low standard, that a crime was committed and that this person committed the crime and therefore they should stand trial? So it's a preliminary charging uh, step. Very different than a jury trial because at a grand jury hearing, typically the defendant is not present, um, cannot be present. It's a secret here. It's a secret proceeding. The defendant and his lawyer are not present. You've got the the jury of you know twelve or more people, depending on the jurisdiction. You've got the judge. You've got the court reporter. You've got the prosecutor and the witnesses, and that's it. The difference in New York is that under New York law, in a grand jury, the defendant has an absolute right to testify. Donald Trump was invited and he obviously declined. Instead, he sent um, his attorney and his attorney, uh, one of, I've lost track of all the names, but starts with a C, one of his attorneys, uh, basically, according to reporting, um, he blamed, you know, Michael Cohen, he threw him under the bus, he attacked his credibility. So he's really more of an impeachment witness. Right. And so I don't know if this delay in, re you know, reconvening the grand jury, moving it towards indictment is because of maybe what he testified to. And they're now sort of crossing their T's and dotting their I's, filling in the blanks or just in general, having a better idea of the totality of their case and trying to bring in what's missing before this grand jury. Um, and, and I think the million dollar question is, will they will this be tied to another crime to where he's indicted on a class C felony or will it remain as this nothing burger misdemeanor? Uh, but but there is that nuance under New York law where the grand in the grand jury proceeding, the defendant has a right to testify. Sarah, you know, I'm so glad you said something earlier about social media or you saw the speeches of the former president, because as a criminal defense attorney, I, I wanted to have you on because how hard is it for you to see your client out there posting on a social media platform, evening local news, national news outlets are capturing that that soundbite and, and or at least, you know, that screen image as somebody who used to work for a news organization before and would capture that stuff and put it into a full screen graf graphic and get it out there. How hard is it for you from a legal perspective, if you were his defense attorney to say, hey, stop doing that because you're giving away some of the things that I'm going to have to argue in court and also 
How much of that, in your opinion, is leaned on in these trials that the, the former president is facing? Because there could be a charge coming up in the Georgia case. We're going to get into that in a second. We don't know what's going to net out with the special counsel. Just take us through, if you were Donald Trump's attorney, you just lost track of how many attorneys, so have I. Um, what would you be saying to the former president right now in terms of the social media and the visibility and everything that he's trying to get in front of with respect to all these cases? So, you know, um, I run into this issue sometimes with some of my higher profile clients. Um, sometimes they're Hollywood people. There's a bigger need to, uh, you know, try to restore their image and the court of public opinion. They think that the best person to do it is them. Uh, they don't want to wait. They they're impatient. They don't want to wait for the legal process to take its course. And uh, that lends itself to some level of unmanageability. Donald Trump, I think we can tell now, I mean, he, you know, right now he gets all kinds of lawyers, you know, some of them are corporate lawyers. We, we just can't figure out how they even got involved in a, you know, in a criminal investigation. But there was a time where he had some of the finest lawyers in the country, you know, and it's obvious that he's probably the world's most unmanageable client. I don't think anyone can say anything to him to convince him that he has to remain silent. And I think that to a large extent, politically, it's worked for him to run his mouth, you know, might not help him legally, but, you know, somehow so far he's gone unscathed legally and politically he's managed to use his words in a way that, that, you know, fuels his supporters and, and keeps it going. I mean, I think, um, until that time comes, I, I don't think there's been any repercussion really for him you know, really remaining silent, which is what every defendant should do when they have exposure. Sarah, pivoting for a moment to the classified documents that the former president had in possession of at Mar-a-Lago and didn't return, obviously, to the National Archives. You know, we've seen a recent ruling for the appeals from the appeals court siding with Department of Justice about allowing them to speak directly with one of the attorneys. Just as it relates to the documents and the ability to talk to an attorney outside of client privilege, what's your assessment of what's going on as it relates to that case? So the document case to me so far is probably the strong, it's the one with the most legs, I think. Um, and it seems to me, you know, you've got, you've got two sets of charges here. You have the issue that the documents were highly classified. They were mishandled, they were removed and they were retained. And then you have, um, the obstruction of justice and the criminal contempt part of it, where, you know, knowingly he was moving them around and then claiming that he had searched for them. There were no more documents left, et cetera. Um, so the DOJ, that their burden of proof ultimately is if he's indicted in that on that side is that he intentionally retained these documents you know and um intent is obviously an element of almost every crime mens rea we call it and so his knowledge that he had these documents and that he was knowingly refusing to turn them over to the national archives and then to doj despite multiple repeated requests is very key here and the fact that corcoran his lawyer is now an appellate court has ordered that he is to take the stand and testify and that uh, he and that that, that the attorney client privilege is to be pierced so that he could freely testify. It's unclear whether he's a cooperator or he's been given immunity. But, you know, attorney client privilege is not that readily pierced. So to, to do that, that tells me that there is a, a belief by the court 
that there is some serious compelling evidence of crime, okay? Because the crime fraud exception is one main reason why, one of the biggest exceptions to the attorney-client privilege. And so the next layer of issues is that not only Corcoran testifies, but oh lordy, there are tapes. And so the tapes come in, the documents come in, and, and that is further piercing of attorney-client privilege with respect to the documentary evidence. So you've got his testimony, and then you've got the corroborating additional documentation, including recordings. Um, th this, to me, is huge, that an appellate court has ordered his attorney to testify, whether by immunity or cooperation, and that the attorney-client privilege is going to be waived. Um, in this regard, it, it, it's really telling of the strength, I think, uh, of the case that the DOJ has. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think, look, we can expect Corcoran will be asked very tough questions like, I don't know, what did Donald Trump tell you about the document subpoena? What did he tell you, you know, um, about having the documents? What did he tell you about moving the documents around? What did he tell you about searching for the documents? Did he tell you that, yeah, 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 I know I have them, but let's just not cooperate, you know, uh, essentially ignore these multiple repeated requests? Did he instruct you to refuse to cooperate and turn these over? So his testimony is huge and he's going to be asked very tough questions that typically we wouldn't have to answer because, you know, it's privilege, except here you've got a, the crime fraud exception kicking in. And not only he gets to testify about them, but to the extent there's documents and communications between him and Trump and the team in Trump. And then also, you know, obviously tapes that we know exist. Um, those all come in as well. You know, Sarah, um, I'm, I'm so glad before you brought up about Georgia, because we had a mutual friend of ours, uh, Ellie Honig, CNN senior legal <laughs> analyst on the show. And Ellie had mentioned a, a while back when he was on the program about what would keep him up at night if he was Donald Trump's defense attorney? I know, obviously, he was a former prosecutor, but and the big one he kept focusing in on was Georgia, right? Because of the evidence, the phone call specifically asking to find the 11,000 or so votes. Um, what parts of that case to you kind of stand out, especially on the defense side? Like, how would you yeah. defend an indefensible phone call? He, the, the president keeps alluding to it as a perfect phone call. Obviously, we know. It's not. But from a legal perspective, right, the the uh, some of the things within that phone call that could be misconstrued or very vague. Could you take us into that case? And what would that keep you up at night if you were defending the former president? No, because um, yeah, I just had a recent conversation with Ellie uh, about this. I know how he feels about Georgia. I beg to differ because I do know Drew Finling who's Trump's attorney in that case. I've known Drew for decades. We were both uh, very involved in the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. He was the president at some point. Um, he's my go-to person in, in Georgia. If I ever have to refer a state case, I call Drew first. Um, very, very respectable, uh, you know, hardworking justice warrior and um, very liberal also. And he is in this for the process and the problem and the defensibility of the Georgia case is the process, uh, the procedure. So, um, yes, I agree with Ellie that the call, you know, Donald Trump calls every call perfect call. Remember Ukraine? Ukraine was a perfect call. Every call is perfect. Perfect. It's not. But, it, yeah, I mean, he definitely, you know, wanted the results flipped, wanted the state flipped. He said that. Uh, it was a 60-plus minute conversation uh, with Raffenberger. Um, 
clearly he was meddling, clearly he, you know, it was fraudulent. But attorneys, defense attorneys come with context. Prosecutors take a soundbite. Prosecutors take that, you know, six seconds or whatever of that 60 plus minute phone call. We come in with the entirety. If you look at the transcript of the rest of that call, there's some backpedaling by Donald Trump. You know, he's a brow browbeater. He does. He says things like, you know, well, you know, you want to be accurate about the count, don't you? I mean, you want to make sure this is correct before you certify. You know, I mean, there's those kinds of conversations which which sort of dilute the very incriminating six or seven second soundbite that the prosecutors are running with, right? So you've got the context that defense attorneys bring in always, and we, you know, and prosecutors take things out of context, but more so. There is a 50 plus page motion that Drew filed with his team that I read with like, you know, the totality is like 400 plus pages because of the exhibits that are attached, essentially going after the DA in this case on, on multiple grounds, saying that this was a special grand jury, which under Georgia law only has authority in civil matters, not with respect to a criminal charge. So they're saying the statute is vague. They misinterpreted the statute, they misapplied the statute, and that this is not the appropriate mechanism by which to bring a charge. So therefore, we're quashing or we're asking the court to quash the entirety of all of the findings in the report of the special grand jury. So it's a huge, it's a motion for huge relief, which if granted, there goes that pr process, right? The whole grand jury process to indict him on this uh, election fraud charge, or it's, it's actually racketeering multiple people involved, um, you know, and that's another issue is that Drew has gone after this DA and this DA's office for abusing the racketeering statute under Georgia law. You know, it's sexier to say oh, racketeering, but it's it's really just another conspiracy, right? But, oh, racketeering, you know, this is huge. Racketeering has very um, loose evidentiary rules, you know, and you can bring in more when it's racketeering. Uh, there's a lot of perks to that. It's the prosecution's wild card. And so Drew is saying, you know what? I don't care. It's Donald Trump. And he's right. You know, I don't know that I could defend Donald Trump personally, but we are here about the process. We fight for the process. We fight against governmental overreaching. We fight against governmental abuse. We don't choose our clients. We don't look at a client and say, well, you're gay, you're black, you're white, you're, 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 you know, I don't know, whatever your sex or sexual orientation is. Same goes with politics, right? Drew is about the process. He's the most liberal person. He has tweeted against Trump uh, with respect to Kaepernick, with respect to abortion. Um, but politics don't count, right? For a true believer, for a true criminal defense attorney. We're here to hold the government accountable. And that's exactly what Drew's doing by saying, look, the statute's vague. You're overreaching by using the statute for a criminal charge versus what it's meant to be, which is in the civil context. And by the way, this DA has recused herself because of a conflict with a particular witness. Um, but she has not recused herself from the entire case, which is very odd. You know, when you have a conflict, it's not you, you recuse yourself from the entire case. It's all or nothing. You don't just recuse yourself with respect to one aspect or one uh, witness or co-conspirator or whatnot. So he's attacking that, too. So he's listed this. It's a it's a very well written motion. Um, and, and he's covered all these grounds, which are procedural. He's not going into the evidence, the phone call, what was said. And it's not like that. It's it's more like the equivalent to a motion to suppress. 
you know, it's a motion to quash the findings of this grand jury. So I'm not sure where that's going because I, I tend to see now that there are problems in that case too. And, and if he's indicted, you know, they have a very strong appellate uh, fight, you know, based on what, what Drew has uh, put in the record by way of this motion. You see, Nick, if we ever make it big time, now we know who to call from a criminal defense attorney perspective because <laughs> I we we would we would be lost without this. We you know we've had other prosecutors and other. Dude, how big matters. are we going to get? I, well, Did we afford her. I don't know. But yeah. truthfully, aren't we more interesting? We're the yeah. ones. We're we're the ones that bring the heat, right? We're the right. ones. That's true. Up with the really creative avenues for for justice. Right, right. right. Prosecutors, so look, my friends who are prosecutors will won't argue with this. It's it's an easy job. I mean, it's an easy job. You come from the position of power, and even if your case sucks, you you really start in a very un, uneven playing field, you know. And I think that it's it's more fun and it's more creative and uh, colorful to be a defense attorney, but you know, at, at least it is for me. You know what Drew said, which I love, I actually quoted it on my Twitter. He said, that's that's the job, of, that's our job. That's the job we do, that's the game. Now, you know, if you don't like it, go close real estate deals or something like that. And I thought it's so true. I mean, a real defense attorney really cannot care, cannot choose the client based on political beliefs or, um, you know, affiliations or anything. I mean, it's because our real job is to uphold the constitution and that that should apply to everybody. It's, it's why I reached out to you and, and had you on the program. Uh, Sarah Zari is a white collar criminal defense attorney. Go get her book. She doesn't want to plug it. I'm going to plug it for her. Unprecedented. A simple guide to the crimes of the Trump campaign and presidency. It's available now wherever books are sold. Sarah, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. You're welcome back anytime to educate our audience. Thanks, guys. It was, it was nice to be with you and meet you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. All right, my thank yous there, too. 
Sarah Zari, white collar criminal defense attorney, eventually will be the defense attorney of Nick Zavari and I, if this thing blows up a little bit more. Uh, and she's also the author of the book, Unprecedented, A Simple Guide to the Crimes of the Trump Campaign and Presidency. I highly recommend you go get that book. I know she didn't want to upsell it too much, but I'll upsell it for her because the book is so relevant. And she wrote that in 2020, I believe. The book is so relevant for what's happening now. Nick, as, as the music's playing us off here, what do you make of all of the legal trouble of the former president and some of the stuff that Sarah really broke down there? The Georgia case would not keep her up at night like Ellie Honig once upon a time told her. I'm so glad that she mentioned that. But what do you make of all the legal news? And we're still under indictment watch. Nothing has happened yet as of this taping. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the perspective. And I it was really important that we're hearing it from a defense attorney, you know, with Ellie, we're hearing the other side of it. And I thought she did, she did an amazing job just taking us through just those three cases very quickly, very informatively. So, you know, for folks, it was, the whole episode was just a, a literacy moment. So it was, it was fantastic. She was just awesome. Yeah, Sarah's great. Check her out wherever you uh, watch television because she's all over the place. And uh, she told us about a little project coming up soon. So more for Sarah coming out soon. For this show, video, you want to watch us on YouTube, type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. We should come right up. Hit the subscribe button for me there. Audio podcast platforms, you know by now, Apple, Spotify, Google. Shout out to everybody who listens to us on Good Pods. Shout out to ACAST, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. Can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this program each week. As always, I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. We'll see everybody next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.